And uh, I want to share a message with you the Lord really has been dealing with me about this week. And uh, he asked me several weeks ago to start teaching out of the book of uh, 1 Peter. And uh, when Peter, uh, God inspired Peter to write this was during, right after the Apostle Paul, according to theologians, had passed, had been uh, executed in Rome. The church was worried uh, about where it was heading. Paul, actually, Peter is writing to a lot of the Gentiles just to encourage them that, look, what Paul told you was the truth. We're not going to bail on you guys. We're not going to kick you out. You know, you're part of the, you're part of what uh, God is doing. And, and uh, so uh, it was really important, this whole letter. But it was also written during a very difficult time for the church of persecution. And uh, the church was facing great persecution in what it was doing. Um, it was hidden um, because of that. And uh, so this is the chapter that Peter talks about that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, that, you know, that your faith is going to go through trials in life, but as it does, your faith doesn't get worse, it gets better. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But let's say it like this. As you go through the trials of life, your faith should get better, not worse. Amen. It seems as though in some folks' lives that it can happen that their faith becomes less in God instead of more in God as they grow older in their faith. Like in the naiveness of our understanding, we have a better, a better faith and trust in the Lord. But to me, the greatest faith that's developed is by people who've been through some stuff. I know there's more than three of you here today. No, man, people that have been through some stuff, they can talk about the goodness of God because they've been through it. And they kept their faith and they didn't quit and they looked forward instead of backwards and they're not living their life, you know, going, you know, poor me and woe is me, but they realize that with God and you is a majority, not a minority. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you, Pastor. I'll encourage myself if you're not going to do it. So I want you to look at verse 17 with me, if you would. And, uh, it says here, as, as Peter continues to write, he says, If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. It's interesting as you look at this because of the word fear that's here. Um, you know, we tend to think of like that fear of, is a bad thing, but actually this word is being used in the context of awe. Have you ever seen something that you looked at and you were overwhelmed by it? that it brought such a sense of, of awe. Like the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, I mean, actually, not in a picture book, but actually was there and looked out at how vast it was and how amazing it is. And that, you know, you know that the little Colorado River down there actually cut all that out and made all that happen. And you're thinking, wow, this is amazing. And so it catches, it, 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 it blows you away. I mean, um, when my children were born, it was awe to me because it was so awesome because this great miracle of birth that took place and, and these kids that came out and, you know, you're counting their toes and their fingers and, you know, you're making sure everything made it out, right? And so, you know, and, they, they're, and they're perfect. You look at them and go, wow, wow. When I, when I stood at the altar uh, 38 years ago, 
and uh, 39 years this summer, and uh, saw Sharon coming down the aisle in her white dress. That was awesome. I was thinking, man, I just about got her. She's all mine. You know, it was awe. See, we look at things in life, and there are things that we, when we look at them, it's, it's, we're to live our lives in awe of God. You know, people, I think a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're trying to explain God. Maybe we're trying to explain God to ourselves. Maybe we're trying to explain God to other people. I don't know that you want to follow a God that you can explain. I mean, why do you need to be able to explain God? You know, try to explain God's love. Well, the greatest love that God had for us is he gave his own life for us. Try to explain that. What's, how, you know, try to explain the depths of that. It, it, you could spend all your life. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul said that we could understand and come to some kind of knowledge of the height, the depth, the length, the breadth, the width of the love of Christ that passes all understanding. It's beyond our ability, our comprehension to truly grasp God's love. You say, well, I know Jesus loves me. Yeah, but you're, you haven't grasped it yet. You haven't grasped it yet. We grow in that all the days of our lives. We continue as we persevere in our faith in Christ. The peace of Christ that passes all understanding, is, it's beyond our comprehension. So when, when Paul, when Peter is writing here and he's saying, look guys, he said, as we're dealing with all of this, he said that we are to face this life in fear, not in being afraid of God, but in awe of God. And we're to be in awe of God because of what it says here in the scripture that God did for you and I, for how he gave himself. So as you look on here in verse 18, it says, knowing, and here's what is awesome for you and I, knowing that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct received by the tradition from our fathers. But we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So he begins to make this incredible contrast here that, look, it wasn't silver and gold. And, of course, for the people there, it was, that would have been the most valuable thing they knew was silver and gold. I mean, those were the things, those were the currencies of the day. And so if, if it, and, and to them, at least for silver and gold, it would seem like things that would pass generationally that would not go away. But he's saying, look, what Jesus did for you, his precious blood is of much, is of greater value than any silver or any gold because none of that could redeem you from what you were the bondage that you were held under. None of that could set you free from the sin that held your life. And I love this because he says here that he indeed, Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And I, I love that because it shows you and I that God had this great plan in place all along. And I, I, was, I, I was thinking about this yesterday as I uh, was driving and I was just praying over this morning and what we were going to get into. You know, many times we look at God 
like we look at ourselves. We look at God and we think that God reacts to situations. You and I react to stuff because we don't know everything. But God does not react. You know, when the coronavirus came out, God wasn't in heaven going, sound the alert, Gabriel, we got a problem on earth. I don't know what we're going to do. We better figure this out. Call a committee. You know the old saying, for God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. It didn't catch God off guard. In fact, if you read your Bible, he already told you in the foretelling of what would come that there would be plagues and famines and all these things would take place. And these would only be the beginning of things that would begin to happen. So it didn't catch him off guard. Adam's sinning did not catch God off guard. It did not catch God off guard. Because, see, what we, we do is we tend to think in our, because of the finiteness, you know what I mean by finiteness, the, the limits that are on us, the, the, the limits on our natural life, we tend to, in that finiteness, we tend to, we tend to look at things linear. We see things in a straight line. I'm born, I grow up, I live my life, I die, okay? We tend to see things in a linear way. God is not linear. God is dynamic. Dynamic means that he could see the end from the beginning. He could see every facet, every, I mean, you want to talk about something awesome. I want you just to let that blow your mind a little bit. That how that God it has no limits on what he can see. You and I have limits on what we can see. But God has no limits on what he can see. He can look down upon mankind and he can see the beginning. He can see the end. He can see the middle. He sees everything. He sees every choice that we're going to make, every choice that we could make, and he already has a plan in place that what's going, he's not going to react to your decisions. He already has an action for your decisions. Is everybody with me right now? How awesome is that? He already has an action. And, it, and it's kind of like this, and I was like asking the Lord, kind of help me be able to explain that. He said, all right, so let's say that, he said, let's say you're driving to Saginaw, okay? And on your way to Saginaw, you're going down M46, and on your way to Saginaw, the road is closed, all right? You didn't know the road was closed. So when you get down there, they're doing construction. So what you will have to do now is you will have to react to what has happened, correct? You have to react to it. You have to make a decision now, a split-second decision. You know, do I follow the detour? Do I take a shortcut? Do I go a different, you know, what am I going to do here? So you're reacting to a circumstance, correct? So something that you had no control over happened. What did you do? You reacted to it, right? And sometimes your reactions are good, and sometimes they're not so good. Now, but let's say that you're, um, you're getting ready to go to Saginaw, and as you're getting ready to leave, WNEM is on, the news is on, and they announce over the air that if you're going to be going down M46, the road is going to be closed in Hemlock. 
Now, now you're not going to have to react when you get out on the road. What are you going to do? You're going to act. You're going to make a decision before you've even started down the pathway. That's how God prepared for what Adam, what was, what was going on with Adam. He already, look, he already knows everything, so nothing's catching him off guard. I mean, as he looks, as he looks down the road of your life, he knows every contingency of everything you're already thinking about doing or haven't even been faced with those challenges yet, and he knows the decisions that you could make in those situations, and he's already prepared and acted a plan out to get you where he wants you to be, even if you make the wrong choices. You know what it feels like to react to something, right? I mean, could you imagine if God was just reacting to everything that was going on on earth? Yeah, he'd be busy. I think he'd look like me without the top of my head, the hair here, you know? I mean, it'd just wear him out. It'd just be impossible because so many choices that people can make. So many different directions that people can go. So many things that can go wrong. But see, God doesn't sit from his place in the heavens and react to anything that's going on. You say, well, pastor, why did he say to, why did he say to Adam, where, where are you if he knows everything? Because he wasn't wanting to know where Adam was. He was wanting Adam to know where Adam was. Because I want you to notice, you can read this later. I'm not going to. Whenever God said, Adam, where are you? He didn't go over here. You know what he said? I was naked and afraid. And God said, who told you that? He didn't go, I'm hiding in the bushes over here, God. Hey, I'm sowing a fig leaf. No, he said, I was naked. See, what did he do? He identified where he was really at. He was afraid. Right? See, nothing's catching God off guard. And that's something important for us to recognize as we think about, you know, especially those of us that, you know, you might be standing for a family member to be a Christian and, you know, you, or to get back with God or come out. Look, God is so far ahead of you in what he's doing in their life already. You're worrying about where they're at right now. God is already way ahead of you in getting them back on the path he wants them on. Well, I wish I could believe that, and that's your problem right there. That's your problem. It's your faith. Get your faith straightened out. Get out of fear and get back in faith. And look, we all do that. We all get in places of fear in our life. We're not confident that it's all going to be okay. But look, I know, but, but it is going to be okay. Because when your child decided to go the wrong direction, God didn't sit in heaven and go, oh my goodness. We got a mess on our hands. What are we going to do? He already had a plan in action. He already knew where this was all going to end and he's got the outcome figured out. Now what he needs you to do is get your mouth and heart straightened out. <laughs> Pastor.
Pastor, don't you know there's a virus going on? Can't you be nicer? We're all struggling. Look, sometimes, you know, sometimes we need a we need an encouraging word. Sometimes we need a swift kick in the back side of our pants. Get your mouth straightened out. Stop saying what everybody else says, man. Get yourself straightened out. Start saying what God says. See, you say, well, how do we know, how do we know God's plan? That's what your Bible's for. Get in there and start reading it. Start pulling out what it says. Because he's already made declarations in there about where this is all going. I mean, as far as I can tell from my Bible, it says, Thy and thy whole household shall be saved. So if you train them up in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart. Now look, either God was lying, which I don't think he was, or God's got a plan. And I may not know that plan. It's really not my business to know that plan. And I'll tell you why God don't tell you his whole plan. Because you'll screw it up if he did. You'll get ahead of him. It's all going to come together. Can you say amen? The same is true in our finances. There's stuff happening for you financially. You know, if you honor God with his word and and your giving and your tithes and your offering, um, look, if you don't want to believe that, don't believe it. But I'm just telling you, those who do believe in giving tithes and offerings, God's working ahead of you already. He's working ahead of you. I can't tell you the people that I've had come to me privately and say, hey, pastor, um, look, I can't really have you tell anybody this, but they're laying a bunch of people off, but they've told me I'm keeping my job, and they don't know, they just, they just like me over here. That's the favor of God. Amen. And look, if you do get laid off, then I'll tell you what, God's already got a plan in place to get you in someplace else. Or maybe he wants you to start your own business. Do you know that some of the greatest industry was created during the Depression days? Some of the greatest industry in the United States of America was cre- created during the Depression. But they, these were people that didn't just sit around and suck their thumb and worry about how bad. That, thank you, Stevie, for joining in with me back there. Oh, I know. Look, I, I could do it, too. I could do the exact same thing. But see, he tells us, look, live your life in awe of, the, of God's greatness. You're putting too many limiting things on God. He's not like that. Let me introduce you to something that, let me introduce you to who he really is, what he's really all about, what he's really done. This is what he's trying to say is, look, this stuff you got, these traditions from the past, these things, look, don't let those things be limiting factors on your life. Don't let that be how you put God in a box and say, well, that's how he works, and that's the only way he works, and it's the only thing he can do. He said, look, what I want to do in your life is he says, I want you to, I want to refocus you onto the precious blood of Christ, that he was a lamb without spot and blame, that he was ordained before the foundation of the world and was manifest in these last times. What he's saying is, look, there's something much more powerful at work in your life. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. The blood of Christ. That he redeemed you. This is what it says here. That he redeemed you. And I love it in the actual Greek language, the word that's used for redeem doesn't just mean to buy back. It's so powerful. Because when you study it out, the word redeem here means not just to buy, but to buy out. Now here's how I want you to think about this. You can buy something from someplace, or you can buy that place out. Now, you'll go to Meyer and you'll buy something. 
But if you go into Meyer and you buy them out, now you have taken ownership. Can I get a good amen? When it talks about being redeemed, what it's saying is he didn't just, he didn't just pay something for you. He paid for everything about you. He bought you out. He bought you completely out. He bought your health out. He bought your finances out. He bought your family out. He bought your soul out. He bought all of you out. He bought out, not just your today, but he settled the past debt, and he settled all future debts through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has opened up a new life for you, a redeemed life. As Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law and has set us free. He has redeemed us because it says, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. He didn't buy you. He bought you out. He bought the whole thing. Kitten caboodle. It's all his now. And he gives you the choice whether you'll walk in the freedom that he has for you or you'll just continue to walk under some old bondage that's from your past. He gives you that choice. He doesn't make that choice for you. His choice is be free. His choice is live liberated. His choice is don't let your past be your present. And don't let your present be your future. Hallelujah. It's settled. He has settled all debts against your account. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And listen, it says in Galatians 4, 5, that he has redeemed those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. See, when he bought you out, he made you part of his family. He didn't just buy you out so that you could just be this wanderer on earth that believes in God. We've got lots of people on the planet earth that are wandering around believing God. But we're not just people wandering around believing in God or talking about there is a God. We're children of that God. We're adopted into the family of that God. All the rights and privileges that go with adoption have now been placed upon the believer. I'm telling you, friend, the blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed you from every bit of curse that was on your life. Your family's not cursed. You're not cursed. Your finances aren't cursed. Your children aren't cursed. Your dog's not cursed. Your cat's not cursed. Your pigs aren't cursed. Your cow's not cursed. Your farm's not cursed. Your business is not cursed. Even though the whole world may operate under the curse, whatever you got your hand to, according to Psalm chapter 1, says that it will prosper. It'll prosper. It'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And whatever you're putting your hand to is going to do great things. Hallelujah. The blood. Why does it talk about the blood so much? Because it is the blood that was the payment. It was the blood that ratified the covenant. It was the blood of Christ. When Jesus did communion with his, his disciples and he was teaching them about the cup, he said, this blood of the new covenant. He's saying, my blood, the blood that is shed for you. When you take communion, remember that it's my blood that was shed for you. What he's saying to, to all of us is that the new covenant is sealed by my blood. It's sealed by the blood that I shed. Leviticus says something really powerful, and if you're writing these verses down, Leviticus 17, 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. 
the, the idea here is, is that you can't live without blood. I mean, you can only lose so much and your body starts shutting down. Because the life is in that blood. And what, what God is saying is, look, for you, for you and I, for his people to receive what he had for them, there had to be blood shed because there had to be life shed. Jesus gave his blood, he let his, he, his blood that dripped from his body was his life leaving his body. Was his life being poured out for you and I. That's the sacrifice that was made. Now Hebrews tells us that as that blood that was shed, that it tells us that later on that that blood was taken into the heavenly realm. In fact, if you're, like I said, if you're reading along with us, that uh, he talks about how that the priests would go into the holy place, the holy of holies, and would put blood upon the, upon the, the altar of God. I believe, and I think the scriptures all bear this out in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus took his own blood into the heavens and he placed it upon the altar of the Father and said, Father, now their sins are paid for. I, a life for a life. I have laid down my life for them. I've poured out my blood. But here's the thing. As he puts his blood on there and puts his, his life on there, what he's doing is he's ratifying. He is sealing this covenant that it's in his blood. Blood that was freely given, that he chose to give. Blood that he laid down his own life to give. Blood that was shed not for himself, but for the, innocent, but for the sinner and the transgression. That blood that he takes and he places upon the mercy seat of heaven where the Father sits. And he puts that blood there and he says, look, he says, I have paid the price now. That precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed now. He's saying that that blood, that all believers who received that into their lives now experience the total freedom and the, 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 that comes through the new covenant for every one of them. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than having now been justified his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that protects you and I from the wrath of God. People ask the question, is God pouring out his wrath on society? No, he is not yet. But that wrath will be poured out eventually. In fact, if you read Revelation, it talks about how that all that is going into a cup of God, that wrath because of man's transgression, because of abortion, because of man's wickedness, because of murder, because of all of the, 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 the horrible things that man has done to himself on earth, that wrath, that disobedience against God is all being, God's setting it up. If he was to unleash that, annihilation would happen. But he chooses to put it all aside until the end. Why does he do that? Because of the great love that he has for mankind that he's still giving every person an opportunity that they can call upon his name and find their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It is that our redemption can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. See, that's that liberation 
that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross in the shedding of his blood, that he put us into a new kingdom by the shedding of that blood. Why is the blood so important? Because of the life. There was a life that's in the blood that was shed. But I want to, I want to take you maybe just in just a few minutes that we have left. I want to do a little bit of a paradigm a pattern shift for our thinking. I want you to, if you have your Bible, open it to the book of Genesis 4. And I don't know if you believe in wearing shouting clothes. <laughs> but I believe in shouting. You know, you'll hear me, you say, man, why is pastor up there shouting? I'm not talking about during preaching, I'm talking during worship. Because I got something to shout about. Amen. You know, when I go, look, when I go to a football game, or well, I don't even have to go, just watch it. My wife is just as bad. I mean, we sit in that, man, we yell at the Steelers, we yell at the Lions. I'll leave it there. <laughs> But we're verbal, and if they do something good, we celebrate it, right? All right, so the story about Cain and Abel and how that Cain got mad at God and killed his brother. You know that story. I mean, he, he had an issue with God, and he took it out on his brother. And uh, in verse 6, the Lord comes to Cain and says to him, he says, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. You should be over this. This thing shouldn't have control over you. Over you. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Now he knows where he's at. He's going to tell you he knows where he's at. He says, Where is, Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And what does Cain say? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? <coughs> he's trying to divert, right? He's changing the subject. I'm not in charge of my brother, so why are you asking me that question? And verse 10, he says, what have you done? Now look at the next two words there. The voice of your brother's blood. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So not only does the blood have an appearance, apparently the blood carries a voice with it. Abel's blood was speaking from the ground, from the, the ground that had received it. And God, you say, well, that seems very strange. I've never heard blood. blood. You know blood talk, blood speak, okay? Are there things in here that you can't see? Are there sounds in here you can't see? Well, sure there is. There's a radio station playing right through here right now, and there's a bunch of them, right? There's country music playing through here. There's rock and roll playing through here. There's Christian music playing through here. All that's in the airwaves here. It's all here. There's television stuff going on inside here. There's all kinds of sound that's here. And just because you can't hear it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And God, the Father, is tuned in 
to the sound of the blood. He hears the voice of that blood crying out. Now, here's the the thought I want to get to. The blood of Christ carries a voice with it as well. The blood of Christ is still speaking. It's still communicating. It's still sending out sound waves that we cannot hear. But that blood is still saying something. And guess what it's saying? Redeemed. Paid for. Bought out. Set free. Cleansed of all sin. Come on, can you shout this morning? Liberated. (laughs) New life in Christ. New creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hallelujah. They're in a new kingdom. They're delivered out of darkness. They're brought into the marvelous light. They're now operating at a different principle. They're on a different wavelength now. Why? The voice is still speaking. The blood is still crying from the altar of heaven to the Father. These people are redeemed because they have believed on my blood and they are cleansed from all sin. They're liberated from all their past. They're liberated. Anything they've done, anything they do, and anything they could do, I've already taken care of it, Father. It's already taken care of. That's the only way. That's the only way that you can be an adopted son or daughter of God. Because of the blood. Because if it only took care of the past, that doesn't bring you into adoption because you're going to be a nutcase while you're there. You're going to still do stupid stuff. You'll repeat your past. Even Look, just because your past is forgiven doesn't mean you're not still trying to repeat it. But when you are redeemed, you have the biblical right to say farewell to the past. Farewell to the anger. Farewell to the unforgiveness. Farewell to the adultery. Farewell to all of my horrible, terrible life that I lived before. Farewell to the perversion. Farewell to all my marriages that I that broke up. Farewell to all of the mistakes I've made in the past. And you're saying yes to the new life. Yes to a new future. Yes to the things of God. Because the blood, you're coming into agreement with the voice of heaven. You want to know what the blood says? It says what the word says. Redeemed. Purchased. That had been taken out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light. Glory to God. Glory to God. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They got together years ago whenever the Golden Gate Bridge was being dedicated. And this guy who was up speaking, you know, he's telling his little stories. And he was the big speaker. And he was actually trying to tell everybody about how God wasn't real. Man made this. This is, you know, this is something that's man's created and God had nothing to do with it. This little old woman, while he's saying all this stuff, she stands up in the in the back of the in the back of the crowd and she starts saying these words, starts singing these words actually. And I thought this was so powerful. She begins to sing. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. They lose all their guilty stain. They lose all their guilty stain 
and sinners that are plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. And something started happening in the crowd. I mean, while this guy is making all these great accolades about how awesome mankind is, there's a stirring by the Holy Spirit happening in the lives of people that are there. And they said that as they got to the second verse, and they started to sing, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. And it said that a hundred people all of a sudden started ringing out singing this song in the crowd. And it swept over the whole crowd of people and drowned it out the sound of the boaster that was speaking that day. Let me tell you something, friend. Whenever you're going through difficulty in life and the boaster of life is telling you, you can't make it. You're going to get sick and die. You're going to fall apart. You're going to go broke. Your kids are going to hell. Your marriage is in the toilet. Whenever the boaster is making all its great statements about what only mankind can do, I want you to remember that there is a fountain filled with blood and it's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And any sinner that plunges beneath that flood loses lose all their guilt and shame. Glory, not just the shame, but the guilt is gone. Hallelujah. I believe that when we, how do we know that we're actually entering in to what God has for us when we now are looking at life with new innocence instead of with all of the baggage that we've carted along with us in our life. That we look innocently at the beauty of God. That's what David cried out. He said, Lord, I only want one thing, and that's to behold your beauty. What great innocence, right? To behold the beauty. That's why the Bible says we have to be as little children to come to him, because children are innocent. They're innocent. They have an innocence about them. You know, you tell them one thing, they go, oh, okay, you're my mom, you're my dad. I believe that. They have an innocence. May we have that same innocence before our Father. Stand with me, if you would. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father God, I pray this morning, Lord, for the hearts of your people, Lord God, that we would have an innocence about what you have done for us. God, that we would look with fresh eyes upon life. Lord, we've had so many influences, so many boasters that speak, Lord God, around us. Things that are being said, people, stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all directions, television, radio, newspapers. But God, in the midst of all of that, Lord, may we find in our heart, as the boast says we cannot make it, that we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not capable, Lord God. May we always remember that there is a fountain. That blood was drawn, poured out willfully by Jesus Christ. That very blood, Lord God, is still speaking today, redeemed. Lord, may we hear, God, help us to tune in to what the blood is saying. Help us to tune in to what you hear. Help us, Lord God, to become people that act instead of react to every bit of nonsense that's going on around us, Lord God. Give us your plan. Give us your thoughts. 
Give us your mind, Lord God, as we seek to have your hearing and hear what you hear. As the psalmist said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found right before you. Help us, Lord. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and look, if you're, while you're, those of you that are joining us online, I just ask you to, if you just join in with us in this moment, just go ahead and close your eyes there just for a moment in your home. You know, as you heard this message today, you might be in a place in your life where you go, you know what? I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if my life is right with God. I don't know if my life ended today, right now, this very moment. I don't know if I'd stand before God through the blood of Jesus Christ or not. I mean, I heard what you said, preacher, but I'm not sure. You know, you could be watching online. That could be true for you. And and you've listened to all of this, and you just happened to tune in right whenever this moment came, and you were just like, Oh, my goodness, God is really talking to me. What do I hear? You call on the name of the Lord. You reach out to God right now. And it's not so much about the words that you say. It's about the heart that you release in your words, where you're calling out and you're saying, Lord Jesus, I need help. Lord Jesus, I need you to come into my life. Lord, I need you to take control of my life. Lord, I want this freedom. I want to walk in this liberty. I don't like living every day of my life afraid of what's the next thing. I'm constantly reacting to my life. It's a mess. And I need your help, Lord God. I need you to take control. I need to surrender myself to you today. And look, if that's you I'm talking to, you're here present with us, here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to ask while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you would just make eye contact with me and say, I need you to pray with me today, Pastor. Thank you, sir. Is there anyone else here today and say, that's me? Just make eye contact with me, and uh, I'll, I'll be happy. We're going to pray together. Thank you in the back there. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Amen. These two up here. Is there anyone else here to join today and say, that's me? Join these three that are asking for prayer. We want to do this. Amen. This is important. Hallelujah. Jesus shed that blood for you just as much as he did for me. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. All right. Now, we're going to pray in just a minute. You that are watching online, I want you to pray this with us as well. Now, what we're going to need you to do is we need you to contact us. Just type into that, type the word guest into that information, that number that's on the screen. We will, we have information we want to give you, you that are here as well. We want to help you in your journey. So we have some some packets of information we'll give you uh, to help you along the way. But uh, let's pray together. And I'm going to ask if everybody would pray with me and with these that are praying here today. Isn't this exciting today? Amen. Let's pray. Say this out loud. Lord Jesus, I turn from sin and I turn to you. Lord God, I need your help. I need you to be the Savior of my life. Today, today, I surrender to you. And I thank you, Lord, that that blood that you shed is at work in my life, forgives all my sins, past, present, and future, and gives me a new life. And I thank you for it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand for these that prayed this morning. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen, if you prayed that here with us today, uh, be sure to stop up and see us. Sharon and I, we have some information. We'll be out in the